Hey everybody, welcome to 2022. I don't know about you, but sometimes the new year energizes me and then on other occasions it doesn't. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's 2022, which is a really cool number. And our son Matthew is going to celebrate his birthday on the 2nd of the 2nd, 2022, this year, which is, which is quite cool. One day, I was standing on the pavement next to King George Road, just outside Avondale Vets, when the traffic just went crazy. There was just mayhem, cars swerving all over the place. And it turns out that a, a car was driving along the road and the tray at the back of the car, you know the tray underneath the car that holds the spare wheel? It fell down and the spare wheel slid out and it was sliding along the road at quite a pace. Fortunately, it wasn't rolling or bouncing. Now, because the traffic was busy, it was going to take a long time for the driver to turn around and collect his wheel. But he never made it because a driver traveling in the opposite direction pulled up next to the wheel. He jumped out of his car, hoisted it up, swung it onto his bonnet and, and he drove off with it. He stole the wheel. And, and this incident has, has become sort of a symbol for me of what is bad about our society and our culture here in Zimbabwe. At our worst, we can be selfish opportunists. And given the opportunity, we can be very quick to compromise what is good and right for our own profit at the expense of our fellow Zimbabweans. And, and here are some other examples of what is rotten in our society and in our culture and, and in us as a people. Two days ago, I was searching for a fridge and I found the same fridge in two different shops. In one shop, it was 388 US dollars. In another shop, it was 688 US dollars. Here's another one. We used to live in a small Zimbabwean town and one of the town councillors was caught selling donated clothing to the poor people whom that clothing had been gifted to. So they'd been asked to administrate the gift and they were actually selling it to the people who had a desperate need for the clothing. Um, here's another one. I wonder what it's like for an unfairly paid domestic worker to hear the madam complaining because she can't go on a shopping trip to Joburg because of COVID. Now, I'm not saying that shopping trips to Joburg are necessarily bad, but paying our domestic workers an unfair wage is. And if you want to put all of this in a nutshell, I think you need look no further than our Zimbabwean roads to see selfishness and entitlement which has stained our culture and our society. And, and yet, it doesn't need to be like this. We as Zimbabweans can be incredibly generous, selfless and concerned for our fellow Zimbabweans. Do you remember Cyclone Eileen? Can you remember the tremendous response to the relief of that particular disaster. And now, you know, when I compare that spare wheel incident, spare tire incident, with the cyclone Aline response, it motivates me to be a transformational person. And it really excites me that we are a transformational church. It's our desire to be a church that brings transformation, not only physically in, in, in this world, but also long-term looking forward into eternity as well. And God has called us to partner Him 
in that process of transformation. The process of moving things from the way they are, which are not great, to the way things could be and should be. But the question is this morning, how can we continue to grow as a transformational church in Zimbabwe in 2022? And Paul's letter to Titus contains a strategy for transformation. And that's why we've chosen a preaching series based on Titus. And so today I'm going to be giving you an introduction to this series. And I'm going to be using three headings. The trouble, the troubleshooter, and the strategy. The trouble, the troubleshooter, and the strategy. But before we continue, let's just commit this time to the Lord. Father God, we pray that you would open our ears and that you would motivate us. Pray that you would open our hearts to understand your word so that at the end of 22, 22, we can look back and see that we have been agents of transformation in our culture and in our society. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, the trouble. Crete was an island with several key ports. So it was at the center of a trading hub in the Mediterranean. And so Paul saw Crete as a strategic place in his plan to spread the good news about Jesus Christ far and wide. And so he went there with Titus, who was a trusted co-worker, a Greek Christian, and they got to work on Crete, preaching the gospel and organizing the converts into small home churches. They started a home church movement on Crete. And after a period, Paul left Titus behind because he wanted to continue his missionary journeys. Um, and he left Titus to finish off the work that he'd started. And this work involved addressing two particular problems. Number one, the influence of Cretan culture and society on the new church. And number two, the influence of corrupt teachers on the new church. So let's have a look at those two. First of all, the Cretan culture. The Cretans believed that the Greek god Zeus was born on their island. And they were very excited about this. They celebrated this. However, <laughs> Zeus was not the most likable of gods. He was a seducer and he was a treacherous liar. So the Cretans were actually notorious for treachery, violence, and sexual corruption. So much so, in fact, that the Greek word to be a liar is kretizo. When you translate that literally, it means to be a Cretan. Kretizo, a liar, to be a Cretan. Many Cretan men hired themselves out as mercenaries. And their cities were dangerous places to live because they were characterized by violence. Violence was commonplace in their cities. In fact, Paul quotes Epimenides, who is a Cretan poet. He described his own people as being always liars, vicious beasts, and lazy gluttons. Can you imagine? Now, these were some of the evil aspects of Cretan culture that Christianity had come to transform. Beginning that process of eternal transformation that starts in the physical, in society, in culture. But it seems, very sadly, that in some cases, the actually the opposite was happening. 
God's word was being discredited by Christians who were still holding on to some of their immoral, greedy, and drunken ways. Let's come back to Zimbabwe for a moment. I wonder whether some of the negative aspects of Zimbabwean society and culture are shaping us. Here are a few of them. Zimbabweans, we love money, and not just money necessarily for its own sake, but the comfort that it brings. We like to be independent as people, and this can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. We don't like authority. We don't like people telling us what to do. We can be tribal and racist by nature. Many of us use alcohol to cope with life. Right back from the early days, there was a, there was a culture of having sundowners. And maybe those sundowners were, were on a Friday evening. And, and then it, as things get tough, maybe it's every evening on the weekend. And then it's every evening altogether. And then maybe it's something more after supper. We use alcohol to cope with life. We're notorious, many of us, for having small houses. And the question is, to what extent are these cultural societal influences shaping us as Christians? Let's go back to Crete. So Titus was instructed by Paul to address the influence of culture on the church. Now, there's more here because the, the character of a church, whether it's good or bad, can always be traced back from the members to the leaders of the church. Because like it or not, human beings follow leaders. And it's not necessarily that they follow the leader's talk, but they certainly follow their leader's example. And we see this happening throughout society in Zimbabwe. And so this brings us to the second problem in Crete, which was corrupt leaders. These corrupt leaders were ethnically Jewish Cretan Christians. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> but these men had two flaws. They had a doctrinal flaw and a moral flaw. So doctrinally, they demanded circumcision and strict observance of the Torah for Christians. Maybe to put that a little bit more simply, what they were saying was that if you wanted to be a Christian and to be right with God, you also had to become a cultural Jew as well. So that was their, 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 moral, uh, their doctrinal flaw. Their, their moral flaw was that they had, I suppose, overarching everything else, a love of money. They saw Christianity as a money spinner. And of course, this has been true for generations and generations. You know, if you want to make a lot of money, just start a new cult. And um, many people saw Christianity as an opportunity to make money. They still do today. So these, these uh, corrupt leaders were greedy primarily for money. So we've considered the trouble, which was the influence of Christian culture on the church and the influence of corrupt leaders on the church. Let's move on now to the troubleshooter. Enter Titus. Both Titus and Timothy were Paul's troubleshooters. They belonged to Paul's church planting team and often they would stay on in a place longer than Paul so that they could make sure that the church was mature enough to stand on its own feet. Um, and this had, uh, happened on, on a number of occasions. Um, Titus was left behind in Crete 
Um, Timothy was left behind in Ephesus. And on other occasions, uh, Paul would actually send them back to a church if problems had developed over time. So, in the Bible, there were two letters from Paul. There are two letters from Paul to Timothy, and there's one letter from Paul to Titus. And in both cases, Paul was giving Titus and Timothy troubleshooting instructions. So the letters are sort of quite similar and they overlap to quite a large degree. They've also been called the pastoral epistles since um, the, early, the beginning of the early 18th century. And that title, pastoral epistles, is a little bit misleading because it implies that the letters are inward looking and that they're addressed primarily to pastors. But in fact, that's not the case. These letters actually outline Paul's missionary strategy for the church. They teach us how to become transformational churches. They remind us that God wants his church to bring the good news about God's salvation to people, people that are dying for a lack of that message. And further, Timothy and Titus were not pastors. They were to appoint pastors, as we'll see, in the local house churches, but they belonged to, to Paul's church planting team. So, we've had a look at the trouble, had a look at the troubleshooter. Let's have a look at the strategy so that we can learn how we can become transformational churches. So, what we need to do here is to have a look at Paul's specific strategy for Crete. And the best way to do that is to have a look at an outline of the letter. And when you enter into a preaching series, it's always useful to, to get an outline of the letter so that once you start diving into the details, you don't lose the bigger picture. So I would encourage you to go to the Bible Project website and to download their um, outline of Titus. I'll put the, the, the link down below for you to click on to. We'll also send it out on WhatsApp. So download it, print it out, use it for reference over the next few weeks as we preach from Titus. But, but here's the outline. There's an introduction, and that's in the first four verses. And the thing to take out of that introduction that's most important is that God um, is, is contrasted with Zeus as being a God who doesn't lie. Zeus isn't mentioned, but that's Paul's intention. God is not a liar. Then the next section, which is from verses 5 to 16, is about transformed leadership. There are two tasks for, Tim, for Titus to fulfill. The first task is to appoint new leaders. And Paul describes what these men are to be like. Because as we've already said, Paul knows that there's a very powerful effect that leaders have on the membership of a church, whether good or bad. And then the second task is to confront and to replace the corrupt leaders. Um, and these can be identified because although they claim to know God, the fruit of their lives belies that fact. So their actions, their lives actually deny the fact that they know God. And so that's the first step in Paul's strategy for Crete. It's to get the leadership sorted out. Then he begins to get the membership sorted out in the next section and that is for the whole of chapter 2. What's key to this is that 
Paul recognizes that the best way to sort out the membership is to sort out households. So chapter 2 is all about transforming households. The situation in Crete was that some Christians were still affected by society, by evil cultural influences, things like sexual immorality and drunkenness. And sadly, because some of their leaders were doing exactly the same things, the members thought that their behavior was okay. What was the result? God's word was discredited. And the fact is, to this day, non-Christians know that Christians should live by high standards of behavior and morality. And when we don't, this is so sad, they reject both us and the good news that we proclaim. Isn't that tragic? And so to counsel this situation, Paul wants to, to set Christian households right. And remember at that time, Christian households um, involved family relationships, but they also involved work relationships because almost invariably Christian households were running the family business as well. So he wanted to get family relationships and work relationships right because these things underpin society. And if we can start getting those right, then we can start to transform society. And this is a good place to start. So in essence, what was Paul's goal for new households, transformed households? It's in chapter 2, verse 10. And this is probably one of the most key verses in the entire book. We'll be coming back to it again and again. He, his goal was that households may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Think of the good news about God's salvation as being a person. If a person is wearing smelly, filthy clothes, it doesn't matter how good they are, people are going to find them repulsive. Now, do you want to make the good news repulsive to people? No. You see, our way of life, our relationships, um, the way we relate to people need to be like smart, clean clothes on a person. They should attract people to the message that we are proclaiming on God's behalf. We recently, uh, last week, went out to Darwindale to spend some time um, at a wedding ceremony out there. And we spent two nights. And we had the privilege of seeing some harvest families and the way that they interacted with one another and the way they interacted with other people. And it was such an honor and a privilege to see this for me. Because although these families could be seen culturally and in a societal manner to be Zimbabwean families, they looked the same as many other Zimbabwean families. They were actually very different in terms of their values, the way the children were interacting with their parents, the way the children were being helpful to other people, playing with small children. It was, a, it was a, a beauty to behold. And this is what we're aiming for. We're aiming for um, families and households and relationships that on the surface look quite similar to ones around them. But actually, when you get a bit closer, they're different. Now, someone says, <laughs> you know, Ian, this is an impossible calling. And Paul realizes that. And so in verses 11 to 15, he explains that the Christian way of life needs to be based on God's generous grace. It's God who's empowering us and enabling us to be 
different. We need to be gracious people. People need to be able to see in, in our business interactions, in our relationship interactions, that we are gracious people who are empowered by God's grace. And there's so much to say about this, but you'll just need to wait for future sermons. Then the last section of Titus, that's chapter 3. I talked about a transformed membership. This needs to lead to a transformed humanity. So Paul addresses the problems in the leadership and then in the membership, and he's hoping that transformed leadership and households will lead to a transformed society, to a transformed humanity. And so in the first three verses, he teaches that Christians need to be ideal citizens. We need to be seen as selfless people. We need to be seen as people who work for the common God. good. We need to, to be seen as people who are concerned about our fellow Zimbabweans and are working to make things better for them. And then in verses 4 to 7, Paul presents the gospel message that makes it all possible, provided that we remain faithful to Jesus, provided we, that we declare God's grace by our word and by our action, and provided that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just some examples of, of what I'm talking about here. I just love the, the fact that Karen and Kala Phil Yuen are involved at Pleasant Way's Old People's Home. They're there preserving the good. They're making a difference in society. And that is a visual representation of what God does. And it makes the gospel message attractive. I'm thinking of, of Murray Evans as well, who's also been involved in, in working with old, old people's homes. Trish Henson. Trish um, has made a decision that she's going to help sort out St. Giles. Because when um, Tom had his accident, it wasn't really possible for him to be sent to St. Giles because the place was just in, in disarray. <coughs> and yet there are people who are trying to be rehabilitated there at St. Giles. And so these are the kind of things that I'm, I'm talking about. Being a good employer, it can start right at your own home, making sure that you're concerned about the, the life of your employees, um, helping to empower them so that they can grow as people. So in conclusion, what Paul is trying to get across here in Titus and what we're going to be unpacking and looking at over the next few weeks is that the church should be an agent of transformation. And we do it through wise participation in culture. You'll see on the slide that I've put up, um, this is from the, 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 the Bible Project summary of Titus. Um, you'll see a picture there. It, it says that the church should be an agent of transformation, not through culture wars or assimilation. We'll explain what that means in due course, but through wise participation in culture. And I've given you some examples of that. And then the second part of this strategy is that we need to be devoted to Jesus and to the common good. Can you see that those two things need to go together? so that it will show the beauty of the message about our saving God. So folks, this is where we're headed in the next few weeks. And what I would like you to take away from today is that every one of us can be agents for transformation. We can make a difference. And it starts 
right in our very own homes and in our closest relationships, we can be an influence there and then we can move on to be an influence in our society and in our culture. The church, which is us, should be an agent of transformation through wise participation in culture and then through devotion to Jesus and the common good because that'll show the beauty of the message about our saving God. And of course that's key because the message is the thing that turns people to God. Our good works turn people to God so that He can, be, so that he can save them and so that their eternity can be changed. I hope you've been challenged by this. Shall we pray? Father God, we're excited as we continue um, on our journey being a transformational church. A church in which people, the members are changed. A church in which we become agents for transformation in, uh, in society as well. And Father, we ask that you would lead and guide us, that you would empower us, that you would give us wisdom to know how best to apply and to implement these things in the year ahead. And we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.